Welcome to this latest edition of the Real Deal Podcast. I'm your host, the Real Deal Quinn, discussing the world of sports and pop culture. This this is being recorded, of course, on a Wednesday, uh, a couple hours before Game Four of the NBA Finals. Uh, Milwaukee trying to tie up the series at two games apiece. Uh, why the NBA has had three games in between three days in between games in a with a series that is in Milwaukee right now it's just beyond me. Um, they should have played this game yesterday. To be honest with you, having game having game three on Sunday, um, but I guess you know they want to avoid playing a game on uh, Friday night versus Saturday night. Um, I guess I mean. You know, I, I I guess that is <laughs> that's the reason because um, you know both nights are not are, are terrible nights for television in terms of people people being out and about like uh, Friday and Saturday are, are horrible in regards to television view, viewing. But I guess but, but traditionally Friday night has been the worst night uh, for television. Um, so if you have a favorite show and it gets shifted from Wednesday to Friday, you can know that the, you could probably know that that show is on its way out as far as uh, is close to being canceled. But anyway, before we get to the finals, because we'll talk about that and talk about what transpired uh, and, and uh, but what to look for in this game four and what transpired in the game three, little USA, USA at basketball. Um, so the USA gets off the schneid lad yesterday in a in a game that felt like a you know I've never felt it's been a long time since the USA had a seemingly from a mental standpoint a must win but it, that, that game last night or yesterday evening felt like a must win as they took apart Argentina uh, rather easily controlled the game basically from the start and listen I. I think the USA probably will win the gold medal. I'm not a hundred percent sure that they'll win the, that they that they will win the gold medal, considering what I've seen in these pads, what I've seen uh, so far in, in terms of what the rest of the world has, and in terms of what has transpired um, with them going putting together this team. They just don't like. Let's be honest, the talent talent level. When you compare this team to past American teams, 2016, 2012, let alone in 2008, just doesn't compare. I would go as far as say the team that lost in 2004 finished uh, in a bronze with a, getting a bronze medal. Uh, that lost and finished behind, uh, finished with the excuse, with the bronze medal. That LeBron, Tim Duncan, Allen Iverson, yeah, remember that team that with Larry Bound coaching. Stephon Marbury and coming. I don't think they're as good as that team, to be honest with you. With that being said, they still clearly, America still has the best talent. But as we learned in 2004, it's not always about, it's not about the best talent. These teams, international teams, you have guys on these teams that have been playing together for, for 10, 15, some of them 20 years. I mean, Luis, you, you notice, uh, there was a familiar face on Argentina yesterday, Luis Scola, who's about who's got to be pushing forty. Like Scola, I remember when Scola was in the league uh, with uh, with Houston on. You know, he was also Scola was a good player, 
uh, he was a good he was a good player in the NBA, but now he you know he cut his hair off because you know he cut his hair off, got the uh, got the buzz cut. Oh yeah, that's that's Luis Scola has been like I said, he's been playing forever. So these teams are know each other, been playing for get you know the chemistry. You know the 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 chemistry is at a much higher level, as we all know. But to me, the bottom line is, regardless to what happens in the Olympics, um, and God remember, they will be getting Booker, Middleton, Drew Holiday, so that will help. I just don't think we should send our very best players to the Olympics anymore. To be honest with you, I just I'm just not. I don't. And if we don't win a gold medal, then so be it. Like, I like the idea of of having players. We have there's enough talent to where you can go nineteen. You can get the nineteen year olds, get a couple of G League players, and a couple of yeah. You want to get a couple of NBA players? Sure, you can get a couple of NBA players. We don't have to have everybody. But to me, you want to have a program where everybody's been playing together been playing together for years upon for years. This group, none of these guys have played together on the international on the international stage. None of them. For the most part. With the exception of I, I would say with the exception of KD and Draymond, that's it. Those are the only two guys that have been playing together. Played together internationally. KD and Draymond. Um I like the I like seeing a group. I, I remember, listen. I I grew up remembering a time when we had the best co- when we we would take the best collegiates. Uh, David Robson, that group, in the course in '88, lost lost, and um, I think they finished with. I think that group finished with a, either a silver medal. And I was like, so we lose in '88, and then we just go crazy, like everybody. Dude, we just panic and just lose our minds. Like, oh. I, how, how can America not win the gold medal? And we got to bring in the dream team, which is, you know, the greatest team probably ever assembled in the history of sports and, and run rough shot and beat everybody by like 50 points a game. And I, and I'm like, that, that clearly was just an overreaction, an overreaction to losing. Um, I Listen, we can't go back to bringing the best collegians, um, bringing the best collegians. I, I agree with that. Just all collegians, but have it have it be a mix. Have it a, again. Have it a mix of the best collegians, the guys nineteen or, or under, uh, nineteen or under, um, some G League players, and you can sprinkle in a couple NBA players that fit certain roles, whether shooting, rim protection, point guard, something like that. This team, you know, as currently constructed, just does not fit. They don't have a point guard. They don't have a pure point guard. I mean, Damian Lillard is a is in essence a shooting guard playing point. Yeah, he can get some assists, but he's not. Damian Lillard is not a uh, he's not a he's not a, a point guard that's going to put everybody in their right place as far as uh, setting people up. This is it's not his game. But again, the Americans this year, the our nineteen year our, our nineteen and under team won the um, won the championship. Think about it. If you keep that team, that core, that team together, they will be. Because the Olympics is going to be in three years. So remember, it's supposed to be in twenty twenty. This, this because of the pandemic got pushed back a year. If you put that team, that that group will have at least three Olympics in them when they're twenty two, 
at 26 and at the age of 30. Keep the core of that team together. Okay, sprinkle in some couple players, sprinkle in some G League players or some uh, NBA players and go from have them all play together, have them commit. Just like you did, just like you did in 06 with the program starting when, when uh, Jerry Colangelo took over the program where you got pay you got to play at least two years uh to to play on to to uh, play on the Olympic team, not just not just jump on the Olympic team without playing uh without playing uh in the tournament of Americas or in the World Cup or or in the World Cup or in that situation or 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 qualifying like like they're playing now and go from there. And I think and I think more times than not that America will still win the gold medal. And by the way, if you don't win the gold medal, then so be it. Like, like you know, we don't have to win every gold medal. We don't have to. We we really don't have to prove anything to the rest of the world as far as being the best basketball, having the best basketball team, best basketball players. We know if we put out our best, it's so much better than everybody else's. It's not even close. It's not even close. But the worst thing is to put out a semblance of our best and 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 and, and see what happened. What, tra- what transpired against Nigeria and what transpired against Australia. Because we still, I mean, in terms, as far as talent goes, we still had the best talent. We still have Kevin Durant on the team. We still have Jason Tatum. We still have uh, Damian Lillard on the team. I mean, those are Bradley Bill. Those are all NBA guys. Even without even without the Chris Pauls and LeBrons, uh, Donovan Mitchell's, um, Anthony Davis, even without all those guys. You still have all NBA caliber players who are going to the Hall of Fame one day that are on this team right now. Draymond Green is going to be in the Hall of Fame. Kevin Durant is going to the Hall of Fame. Damian Lillard is going to the Hall of Fame. Bradley Bill's on pace to go to the Hall of Fame. And I'm not going to subscribe to this Greg Popovich all of a sudden has gotten dumb and can't coach no more. Or Kevin Durant, or this, you know, this is somehow going to tarnish Kevin Durant's legacy. I mean, give me a break. But I, but, but the, the main reason I want new players, a core players there, or a core players in terms of the 19 and under, is the freshness of it. You have guys who I feel like will be all in in terms of wanting to be there. I'm sorry. I don't think these guys are all in in terms of wanting to be there. I don't, I don't think these guys are all, they're just coming off, they're coming off back-to-back seasons where you played in a, in a pandemic, all coming off the bubble, coming off injuries, coming off a long, it's been a long NBA season, a long NBA season. And yeah, they might, they might say the right things in terms of wanting to be there. They might go out there and play hard, but you can't tell me subconsciously, subconsciously that these guys are all are just all the way in. Especially the main guys. You either have that or you have guys that have no business no business there. Like Colin Sexton, no, excuse me, uh, Garland or Kevin Love have no business. Those guys, you know, have, have no business on the team. Kelvin Johnson. I mean, some of these names that are on this team right now, you like you like, huh? Who? What? I mean, Shouldn't they be, you know, this is they, these guys are starters right there. These guys shouldn't be on the on Olympic team. Especially Kevin Love. Kevin Love Beloit, has no business on this team. None. So I, I want a team get the nineteen under get the nineteen under kid, young man, 
get some G League players, some of uh, the best of the best hard on G League players, get a couple pros, get a couple NBA players who can shoot, play playmakers who who, who game whose skills match up with international with the international rules and what have you, and go from there. We don't have to have our absolute. We don't have to have the creme de la creme of of the United States in these Olympics anymore. We just don't. And that means not winning every 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 single Olympics a gold medal, then so be it. Like, it, it we're past the point where we've proven that we're the best the best country, the best basketball country playing country in the world as far as playing basketball. We have our we put our best against everybody else's best. It's not even a comparison. Matter of fact, we don't even need our best against everybody else's best. If guys you know, if we get if guys have um have time to play together. And again, again, and that's another thing. If these guys play together, like if they played together in 2019 or played together in other in other international competition, they would be running, they'd be running through uh the competition right now. We wouldn't be having this conversation about losing to Nigeria or Australia. Period. Of course, game four, the NBA Finals, about three and a half, about three hours away, um, as we record here on a Wednesday. Um, this is so far, you know, so far the series hasn't had the, you know, classic game that you would want in the finals, the close game, the uh, down by, you know. Two, you know, two point game, two minutes left, something like we haven't gotten that, but we have gotten some great basketball from an individual standpoint. And there's no, there's not an individual right now who is standing taller, literally and figuratively, than the Greek freak right now. And the Greek freak is really shutting a lot of people up. Um, he's been by far the best player in this series. He is uh, dom. He has had two transcendent performances in a row um, in games two and three. Um, you can pick your choice. You can take your pick on which performance you think it was better. Um, and it is clear that he has gone to another level as far as his mentality. You can see him screaming for the ball. Screaming, for, you know. You can see his leadership on the court. Even something like where Bobby Portis didn't want to leave the court. This is how crazy Bobby Portis is. But Bobby Portis was being subbed in. He was being subbed in for Giannis was subbing in for Bobby Portis, and Bobby Portis still did not want to leave the court. And Giannis, Giannis had to basically, you know, give him a pep talk. Like, look, man, you did, you know, good job. Don't get mad. You know, I know you is my probably want to say, man, get your ass off the court. <laughs> oh, crazy Kurt. Crazy Kirk Jr. Uh, that is that is Bobby Portis, who actually has played. Actually, you know, has has had some moments in this series as well. It's, it's, it's going to be a play a vital role probably moving forward because neither one of these teams are very deep, um, to say the least. Um, so you see in Game Three, uh, Giannis just get basically get DeAndre uh, Aiden in foul trouble, and you see that Phoenix has no answer. For their small ball lineup, and again, this small ball lineup cannot deal with Milwaukee uh, in the paint. It's just not. It's just not possible. It's like they have to have DeAndre Ayton is 
you know, the third best player on that team, but he might be the most as far as what he brings to the table. He might be the most valuable because they they have a lot of wing players. They have an excellent backup point guard who's not playing well right now, but they still have a certain he's still a serviceable backup point guard. They don't have a backup with, with especially with Sarge hurt right now. With Sarge out with the knee injury, they when when Aiden is off the floor, they get small. They go they get small quickly, and you can't put Frank Kaminsky on the court. That just that's just not going to work. Um, so uh, DeAndre again, DeAndre Aiden has not had a lot of foul trouble throughout the course of the playoffs. So I don't anticipate that being a major problem moving more moving forward more than likely because he's been smart about staying fouls. But uh, but in regards to Giannis, again, if Milwaukee can get a – they don't even have to get great efforts out of Middleton and Holiday. Like Middleton and Holiday don't have to both be on for them to win. If, if one of those guys plays well, Phoenix can, Phoenix may be in trouble, to be honest with you, if one of those guys plays well. Because I, I – like, it seems like Giannis is getting stronger as this series has gone along. and these extra days only are going to help, you know, with that recovery from that knee, from 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 you know him injuring that knee, which seems like it happened like two years ago. Considering where, where, how he's playing right now, in game one you saw it. He wasn't running. He wasn't really uh, running hard in transition as far as you know testing that knee. Ever since that, it, I mean, you couldn't tell that he ever that day. You could not tell that he, that, that, that that guy almost. Tore his knee in two basically two weeks ago uh, against in Game Four against Atlanta or Game yeah Game Four against Atlanta like you couldn't tell and that happened on I think the 29th that happened on I believe June 29th that that happened um, you couldn't tell by the way he looks right now that he was that you know that his knee was uh, hyperextended and what you like about Giannis is one it seems like his mental his mental approach to the game is starting to close the gap with his physical, which is with his, with his physical skills, which is, is scary for the rest of the league. And there seems to be a narrative going around. And, and I started picking up on it like a couple weeks ago. This, this wasn't new. I really started picking up on it um, after, even after the Brooklyn series, when he went toe-to-toe with Kevin Durant, averaged 32 and 13, had 40 and 13 in a game seven and on the road at that. But there seems to be a narrative with Giannis that people are not accepting Giannis possibly being the most dominant player in the league. The idea that Giannis could possibly be when this series is over and maybe even to the future, the best player in the league like that. And, you know, the thing is the go-to argument with Giannis against Giannis well, he's seven foot. All you do, you know, what's his bag? Uh, he just dunks. And I'm like, do you understand how many players in the history of the sport have had a 40, have had back-to-back 40-point games in the finals, 20-point quarters in the finals? That list is minimal. I mean, we're, we're talking, uh, talking LeBron James. You're talking Michael Jordan's. You're talking Kobe Bryant. Isaiah Thomas, in terms of scoring 19, 20 points in a quarter, you know, LeBron did it as well. That list is very short. That is a, like that, that, what he's doing, 
right now in the midst of doing Shaquille O'Neal in the midst of doing right now is is historic. Uh, he's dominating inside the paint. Like we haven't seen that since 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 Shaquille O'Neal in the early two thousands, and that's and that's who Giannis finally has. You know, the light switch has went off in his head and basically said, I'm sure he basically said to himself, I'm just going to be a, a, a young and athletic Shaquille O'Neal with handle. And that's, what, and that's what he is. He is a young, athletic, younger, athletic version, more athletic version. Yes, he is a, he's more athletic than Shaquille O'Neal. I said it. He's not, he's not as powerful and strong, but he's more athletic than Shaquille O'Neal ever was, to be honest with you. And with, with handle... Because you can also you can also run your offense through him. He can also put the ball on the floor, and he's figured that out. And there's nothing, you know. Once he makes up his mind that he's going to live in the paint, there's nothing you can do. There's nothing Phoenix can do, to be honest with you. Nothing. So this could be a series where you know we could be looking back and we could be saying this is the series where Giannis became the best player in the world and took his career to another level. It seems to be headed in that direction. Now, does that mean that I think Giannis single-handedly by himself is going to beat the Phoenix Suns? Probably not. You're probably going to get a, 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 a diet, a study diet of quality performances from, a, from Middleton and Holiday, either or, to win this series. Probably going to get a study diet of that to win for them to win this series. Phoenix still, Phoenix still is a very good team, and I expect Booker. You know, you expect Devin Booker to bounce back. Though, keep this in mind about Booker, he's treading down right now. It, like if, if Booker was stock, stock is stock has been traded. The stock will be going down. Not 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 so much you want to sell on Devin Booker right now, but the stock is is trending down. Like he. Uh, you know, you look over the last his last eight nine playoff games, his shoot percentage has been around has been under forty percent in his last eight his last eight or nine playoff games. And when he has scored, he's had to be he's had to take a lot of shots to get his points. Like it's been a long time since Devin Booker shot the over fifty percent in a in a playoff game. Now. They have a lot of balance. They have a lot of balance scoring. So they've been, you know, when Mikael Bridges drops 27 or you'll get a random Jay Crowder 18-point game, something like that, they've been able, and DeAndre Ayton has been consistent, and Chris Paul has been tremendous. They've been able to survive some of those games which Devin Booker has struggled uh, with his shooting. But they cannot survive against uh, the way Giannis is playing right now. They cannot survive in this series, Devin Booker, um, shooting three or fourteen, or Devin Booker performance like you like like we saw in Game Two, excuse me, in Game Three, it can't survive that against uh, against Milwaukee. A couple of things um, talked about this last week on uh, Instagram Live, and again, one of the most overused terms in in all the sports, especially in basketball, in terms of adjustments. Now. After game three, you got the classic, oh, they were more aggressive. They lived in the paint. They didn't take jump shots. And here's, here's, here, here's where you have to actually just pay attention to what's going on and, and just watch, actually watch the game 
Game two, Milwaukee had 54 points in the game. Though you heard that same stuff, the same Milwaukee narratives when the same narratives when Milwaukee loses. Oh, lack of adjustments, too many jump shots, not taking advantage of their size. Well, game three, 54, 50 by George, 54 points in the paint. Game two, they shot 16 or 36 from three, from three point line. Game three, 14 of 36. So it's not just a, it's not a matter of them being more aggressive in game three versus game two. Um, in terms of, uh, like, you, there are a lot of factors that went into them winning game three versus the first two games. Game two, I, I, I really, really didn't mind. I really liked their approach in game two as far as how they tried to play. Phoenix just made 23s. Game three, Phoenix only makes nine threes. So that, like that, and Devin Booker goes three for 14. So like that, and, and they shoot, you know, now the free throws, again, this was this free throw disparity was a big difference between game one. It was a big difference between game one and game three, but they shot, yeah. Did they shoot one free throws in game three? Yes. Giannis put his head down. And led that charge and got to the and got to the line. But remember this: Phoenix is not a free does not a, is not a volume free throw shooting team. They shoot a high percentage, but they don't shoot a lot of free throws. They didn't. They were not. That's not how they're they're built. They're not. They they are a jump shooting team. Um, that doesn't that really doesn't go to the basket a lot. Who goes to the basket in Phoenix outside DeAndre? Who lives in the paint outside DeAndre Aiden for Phoenix? Chris Paul and their, their two best players, Chris Paul and Devin Booker, are mid-range assassins. They do their damage in the mid-range and from the three-point line. That's where they do their damage. So, again, and I, I, say, I said this on the live, I'll say this again. When someone says to you they have to make adjustments, so-and-so, whoever is Phoenix or Milwaukee, whoever whoever they feel like, it's more than likely going to be the team that lost. So, yeah, I'm sure after game three you heard, well, I want, well, Phoenix got to make this adjustment. Simply ask them what adjust, what's the adjustment they have to make. That's all. Just ask them what is the adjustment that they have to make because it, it, it is a it's so it's such an overused term. It really is. It's, it's, and I'm glad Van Gundy has kind of been pointing out as well because it is it can be annoying to hear from. Especially, especially when you're talking to basketball people, people who watch basketball, who just watch basketball, who really don't know the game from that stand in terms of like from an X's and O's standpoint. And I'm not like, listen, I, I watched a lot of basketball in my lifetime, been around a lot of basketball in my lifetime, probably more than, than most, considering, you know, you have a cousin that played in college and a stepbrother that played in college, and you're going to summer league games, watching them play against, you know, the likes of Sean Kemp. That, you know, at, at a young age, that kind of that stuff, and how many AAU games I had to witness. I have a, I have a lot of basketball miles in my mental Rolex, thousands, to say, and literally thousands. And I'm not an X's and O's, like, and I'm not going to sit here and tell you, I, I, I can point out X's and O's, um, in the in terms of these games, I'm not a coach, so 
So most people are not going to, so most people, when most people say something like, and I, again, that's something that I've stopped, I, that's, a, that's a term that I've stopped using in terms of, uh, well, they got to make this adjustment. Like, if I, if I can't name the exact adjustment, then I, there's, nothing to, there's nothing to be said. If you want to say, hey, they got to play harder, that is a, that's, that's a physical adjustment. Yeah, they, got, they need to play harder or play smarter. That's a mental adjustment. So tonight, I think tonight will be a very close game. I like Milwaukee in the game. I did pick, I'll pick Milwaukee in seven, so I'm going to pick them to win this game. Uh, you do get a sense that this is the that this is the pivotal game uh, of the series as far as knowing what type of series that, you know, if Phoenix wins this game, even if Milwaukee were to win, I, I, there's no way you can see Milwaukee winning three straight games against Phoenix. Uh, I just, that just will not happen. If Milwaukee is able to tie it, then I, I would be surprised if this is not a seven game series, if Milwaukee is able to tie this series and, and send it back to Phoenix two, two. So this, this is the game that is going to tell you what the direction of this series um, without question. So on Sunday, you saw um, a bit of history made um, with Novak Djokovic winning his 20th major. He ties fellow legends Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal. Nadal... Um, I don't think Nadal played Wimbledon this year. I, I, yeah, I, I think, I don't think, yeah, I don't think Nadal played Wimbledon. Federer got eliminated. Federer actually had a decent run. He got, got to the quarterfinals and got smoked uh, in the quarterfinals. Um, clearly still not, still not 100% from that knee, you know, from the from the knee surgery. Still trying to work himself in, uh, into shape, into the tight, not just so much into shape, but just into, the type of condition that that will allow him to win a major. Um, he is he's also he's electing to skip out the Olympics, skip out out the Olympics, and probably get get ready for the U.S. Open. <clears throat> get ready for the U.S. Open. You saw and you heard that I made all. <clears throat> excuse me, made all is going to be actually be playing at the city, the Citibank tournament in D.C. Which uh, I'm actually going to try to go try to get to to see Nate all play. Uh, that'll be later on in the summertime. Actually, I actually might try to get to that um, to see him. Um, so the thing about so Djokovic is in a is in a position to where, and by the way, that's Djokovic's third major of the year. He's so he, you know. He's going to have a lot on the line at the U.S. Open, a chance to pass those two, and a chance to also become the first player since Rod Laver to win the counters to win the calendar year Grand Slam, which is and which is just an achievement that is insane. I mean, to win all four majors in a in a in a in a, in a in calendar year is just something that hasn't been done by a male by a male or female since Steffi Graf in 88. Steffi Graf actually won the Golden Slam. She won the Olympic gold medal as well, which is something that, you know, an even rarer feat. Listen, I, I, I always, listen, I, I respect Djokovic. I've always, I, I think with Djokovic, the, mo the most remarkable thing about him is think about where he was at 
in two thousand at the end of the two thousand ten season. So at the end of the two thousand ten season, this was a race between Federer and Nadal as far as who's going to end up with the most majors. Federer had a relatively commanding lead um, at sixteen to nine over Nadal, but the but Nadal we all know Nadal is. Uh, four years younger, so we are. That was always in the back of our minds. That yeah, he has a, he has a lead on, but you know he's only. They'd all at the time was only. This is in 2010, so they all at the time was only was 24 years old. Federer was like 28. Like, they, like Federer is four years older than they all. So 20. So we were like, yeah, Federer has a lead, but he's four years older. So how long, you know, will he, you know, how long? They don't have, obviously have a chance to catch him considering the, uh, considering the difference in the four-year uh, difference in age. Djokovic wasn't even on the radar. I mean, it wasn't like Djokovic was not even. It, Djokovic had one major at the end of the 2010 season. One. One. And that was the 2008 Australian Open. That's it. Djokovic had one major since 2000 in the beginning his first big season was in 2011 where he won three or four majors he had seven the seven match win streak where he owned Nate all for a season i mean you go back to that go back to that anybody and Nate, i mean he he forced Nate all to basically alter some of his his, his style of play and that's how bad he owned him especially on all on all surfaces uh, i mean he beat him beat him everywhere beat him at women beat him at women he beat him at uh, beat him on clay a number of times that year, and then finished capped it off with a four and a half hour four four set marathon. A match that I will never forget. By the way, that go back and if you just actually have nothing, to do, you actually have to be in, in a state of boredom, which I don't want. What one would wouldn't want any person to reach. But that 2011 U.S. Open final is is is, is, is a remarkable match to watch. Just the physicality of these two guys who are grinders and. Who are going to play from the baseline and just just beat just beat the hell out of the ball? It was it was beautiful. It was great to watch. It, it frankly was and it, it, frankly those the Djokovic net all matches are always great. You know it's going to just going to be all out war with those two playing from behind the baseline. It really is. So, but that year he owned he owned it all, and that was the first. That was the year where you said, okay, this guy he now he's officially. Welcome to the party. Welcome to the the Roger Federer Rafael Nadal party. But even after that year, he still only had what four majors after 2011. So the fact that he's caught Federer and Nadal ten basically ten years later, eleven years later is is why they while he's you know at the age of 34 is. Is one of the most remarkable individual feats that I've ever seen in, in out of any sport. To be honest with you, he had one. He has won nineteen majors starting in two thousand eleven. He is nineteen. He has nineteen majors in the last ten years. Nineteen, and remember, he was disqualified. He would have won the the U.S. Open last year if he wouldn't have hit the hit the damn ball, girl. With the and it was it was out of frustration. It was it wasn't intentional. He still he should he still should got kicked out. I agree with him getting kicked out. He wasn't trying to hit her, but he let his emotions get the best of him. But he was going, I mean, that was a match. He was winning that match. He wasn't losing that. He was, um, 
I believe he was. I believe he was winning that match, or he was in a. He might have been down a set, but chances are he would have found a way to win that match. I, I don't think he would have lost that match. So he that cost him a major. Like that, that actually cost him a major. Um, his, you know, again, his style of play. Uh, again, the thing I've been, I, the thing you have to respect about Djokovic is he's all he's continued to add. He is the most mentally tough, the the more, most mentally toughest players that they ever live. I've seen Djokovic down to Federer match points and come back and to win matches in Grand Slams down match points. Whether it was the 2010 U.S. Open or the 2011 U.S. Open semifinals, back-to-back years he's down match points. 2019 Wimbledon double match point with Federer was serving. He came back to win that match, um, beating Nadal at the French Open, which basically no one does. He has two victories over Nadal at the French Open. So this guy, you know, and again, compared, this is why if I were to rank him, Nadal is going to be third in this group because. Federer, Nadal, uh, Djokovic and Federer can win anywhere. If you look at how Nadal's Grand Slams are breaking up, 13 of the 20 have been won at one tournament, which is the French Open. Like, he's the king of clay. He's the greatest. He's been better on clay than any player has been on any surface, period. He's won 13 of them. But he hasn't had much. I mean, he's got, he's got 13, 13 Wimbledon's, one, just one, you had one Australian Open, um, for U.S. Open, so he's been successful there, but doesn't has not has only what how many Wimbledon's? Yeah, I think he has two Wimbledon's. He has third, two Wimbledon's, four U.S. Opens, and one Australian Open. But third, but the majority of his wins have came at one tournament. Better and Nadal and Djokovic. You know, Djokovic has nine U.S. has six Wimbledon's. Okay, six, nine Australian Opens. And he'll be after, um, I think, U.S. Open number, five, I'm going to say five. So he has nine plus six, 15, two. Well, that'll be number. I think this will be his, if he wins U.S. Open, it'll be his fourth U.S. Open. So Federer and Djokovic have a better balance. Of course, Federer has the best balance out of all of them because he has, you know, six Australian Opens, uh, six, um, you know, eight, eight Wimbledons and five, and six uh, U.S. Opens, and just one French Open. But Djokovic, to see the improvement, and to see where a guy, again, there was a time where, again, mental tough, you know, he couldn't get out, Djokovic could not get out of his own way as far as from from a mental standpoint. Like those, like he would mentally, you know, he would mentally break down, and that would cost him matches, or he physically just could not, Stand up to Federer and Nadal. Like I've seen, we've seen Djokovic retire in matches because because of fatigue or because of just not being or because of conditioning. So he has completely done a 180 on on mental toughness and conditioning. Now he is easily the most condi- well the, the the best conditioned person player in history. Like no player has more come from behind wins in Grand Slam majors in terms of five set wins in Grand Slam majors. Or being down two sets of love in Grand Slam, he has the most wins in, in terms of that. He mentally takes takes people apart. He does not have to play his best tennis to beat you. 
he um you know he has made himself into a, into a complete player again aesthetically if i were a tennis player i, I would want to be roger Federer from a from a talent standpoint aesthetically the style of his game yes i would want to be roger Federer. But it's going is not is not going to be debatable who the goat is the way it's looking unless Federer has another miracle comeback similar to 2017, which looks almost impossible at coming at off these off these knee surgeries and at the age of 39. But again, it's Roger Federer, so I've never prepared. I would have to see, actually see him retire, maybe for me to believe he's done. And it seems to me like Nate All not winning this French Open really signifies probably probably the end of his career per se, or probably, you know, the close, he's closer to the end than being, than being a guy who can win majors. Cause he can only win. Nadal is only going to win moving forward. He's only going to, he's only going to win at the French open. I don't see Nadal winning any more majors other than the French open. And the fact that Nate Federer, that Joker was able to take him out in the French open this year, doesn't speak well for, for Nadal versus Djokovic into the future. Remember, um, Djokovic is, I mean, and Djokovic is a year younger, but physically, they'd all, that pounding on it, that his body has taken on that clay, uh, that's taking, that is definitely taking his toll on Nate all. He, set, he, he cleared out his schedule until basically to the hard, for the hard courts for a reason. He skipped Wimbledon for a reason. And you've seen Federer skip clay court tournaments and the French Open in past years for a reason because of the physical toll that's been taken on his body uh, throughout the course of his, his career. But um, again, Djokovic is Djokovic is more than likely going to end up as the goat, as the best of all, as the greatest of all time. And I, again, I this is something that we we don't we haven't seen this in any sport. Like it'd be the equivalent of, of Tiger Woods catching Jack Nicholas Jack Nicholas and passing him or tying him, or we don't. This is something you don't see. You know, LeBron James playing and Kobe Bryant. You know, the late Kobe Bryant passing Michael Jordan with titles and championships and stuff like that, things like that. It just doesn't happen. Normally, it's just something that something we, that we will never see. Like a guy catch two other guys who are well ahead of him in terms of major tournaments, championships. And to do it, to do it in an era where you're facing, you're facing two of the great, at two, the two greatest players of all time um, in, in Federer and Nate All. It's pretty remarkable. Uh, it's pretty remarkable, and it's something that needs to be talked about more. But you know, America doesn't really particularly care about tennis because there are no American stars. So, you know, shout out to um, Djokovic. Uh, we'll see what happens at the U.S. Open. Now, hopefully, again at the U.S. Open, you'll have a Djokovic, Nadal, Federer that you can get at least one of those matchups, if not two of those matchups, maybe. You know, Federer and Federer and um, they all have never played at the U.S. Open, which is remarkable considering how many years they were both ranked in the top two, definitely in the top three. They've never met the U.S. Open um, at all, not not for a title, but in any match, um, in, in any round. A couple of NBA things before I let you go. Uh, Kawhi Leonard had knee surgery. Uh, for what we knew, for what you know was obvious, it was a partially torn ACL. That's why you know it was comical to me. People speculating that oh he could possibly come back. Like no, he's not coming back. <laughs> even he wouldn't even, even if they were in the finals, he wouldn't be playing. Like he had a part. Like that 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 knee that injury that knee injury was pretty serious. 
um, to say the least. And we know Kawhi in terms of how he's managed injuries that he does not like. That's not how he and Uncle Dennis. That's not how his team operates. Like he's not he's not playing through an injury of, of that magnitude. The big thing the big thing is though move the big for the big picture for the Clippers moving forward is what what do you do with Kawhi? Um, and what happens with Kawhi? Not so much what do you do with Kawhi because the Clippers don't have any control over it. Kawhi is going to opt out of his contract and going to um, become an outright free agent. And to me, if I'm the Clippers, here's and again, I I've had a change of a change of heart, a change of mind of this. I stated earlier that I probably would try to convince him to do a signing trade. I'm off that. I'm off that. Um, I think the Clippers, if I'm the Clippers, I'm, uh, I say, listen, of course we want you back long-term, four years, and we'll give you a four-year max. Of course that. Because remember, you can always, that stuff, something, if, something, if, if the relationship goes sour, you can always trade that. You can always move him. Um, if something happens, uh, he's unhappy or something, it just goes bad and, you end up they end up underachieving, not getting to the finals, you know, not competing for a championship. So just whatever. The worst case scenario, you can move him. I believe um, if I'm a Clippers, if I had Kawhi Leonard that I would have won a championship this year. And I would tell Kawhi Leonard that. Like, listen, we if we have you, we win a championship this year. It's just that simple. Now, if you have any reservations about us moving forward. We we would definitely take the the, the 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 two plus one contract. Like if you want to sign just for two years and be free agent next year and see what direction the team goes in, hey, we we, we accept we will accept that as well. It's not just a situation where we either want we either want you for four years or don't want you at all. No. So you have this is, is the balls in your court from that standpoint, but we want you, we believe we want you here. And we want you, we want, we prefer you have, prefer to be long-term, but certainly willing, accepting more than willing for you to, to, to do, to, to do the two plus one. The bottom line, we want you to be a Clipper next year because we feel like we will be amongst the top teams in terms of winning a championship next year. That's what I would do. I just don't see any trades out there right now with Kawhi where you're going to receive anywhere close to equal value. And again, Kawhi makes so much money uh, right now. It's like, again, what, what trade, and I, I went through, I went through some Kawhi trades on the trade machine. I, I, I just don't see it right now. I, I think the best, I, I don't see, I, I don't see who they could trade, who they can move some Kawhi for and be in a position to where they're competing for championships in the future. Um, in the in the future. So I, I don't see a great Kawhi trade out there right now. I think their best bet is to have him back, even if it's a situation where he's a free agent come 2022. Now, you get him back, they possibly could win a championship next year. Then it's like, okay, we got our championship. Now you see that we are a championship organization, culture, and he more than likely would sign the long-term deal for the, the long-term 
four-year deal um, for max money. But I, I, I would not, I would not try to move him. Um, and I would tell again, if I'm the Clippers, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to run it back with the team I had. I, I want to bring Reggie Jackson back. I'm going. They're going to make a couple. What's his name? Terrence Mann is only going to get better. Okay. Nicholas Batum had an excellent play, played well in the playoffs. I'm trying to, I'm, I'm trying to bring it back now. Yeah, I want to try. Sure, I want to try to get a point guard, a point, a traditional point guard, and to take some, take some of the pressure off Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. So that'd be my, that, that would be outside of Kawhi, outside of resign Kawhi Leonard. That would be my first priority, uh, number one priority, number two priority. But I'm bringing Kawhi back to running back next year to to chase to go after go after uh, the chip for uh, for 2022. As far as Ben Simmons, um, they had a read the article in the Atlantic in the Atlantic um, that the Sixers are expecting an All Star back in return for Ben Simmons, which is you know oh, the Sixers. Sixers are kind of, you know the Sixers are are are, are just toxic and comedic organization. So, and this Ben Simmons, they they won't they will not have problems problems moving Ben Simmons. It's just a matter of what they get get for Ben Simmons. And sure, they should definitely expect to get an All Star back for Ben Simmons. But it's really it's really funny for them to come out with that proclamation unofficially considering how you basically devalued him after game seven against Atlanta with your head coach and your your superstar and not I shouldn't even say superstar your star center basically throwing him under the bus and you know so now 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 you want to build up his value after you basically just kicked him around like a can um, after the season ended, after your season ended. Um, I think with Ben, I think with Simmons, to me, the, the trade that makes the most sense, if I'm the Sixers, is the Dame, is Dame Lillard. That is, that is the one that I would be focused on if I'm, if I'm the Sixers. Because number one, it would be a perfect situation for him to start over. Uh, he would fit perfectly with that team. He could be a guy that, you know, 25 years old, they could build or they could completely, again, and if, Port, if I'm Portland right now, if I'm Portland right now, if I cannot compete for a championship, if I don't feel like I could put together a team and compete for a championship in a loaded Western Conference, then you know what? You might as well tear it apart. And there's no better piece to tear it apart, to get back in order to tear it apart than Ben Simmons, to be honest with you. There's no better piece that you're going to get. You're a 24, 25-year-old under contract for the next three or four years, for the next four years, who's got something to prove, who, um, unselfish, still an elite defensive player, um, and have him under, and again, all-star caliber player, and have to have that guy under contract for the next four years. You will not find a better asset for Damian Lillard than Ben Simmons. It is a perfect deal to me. It makes both sense. Makes perfect sense for both teams. 
Dame Lillard put move him to the Eastern Conference, put him on a team where his skill set fits perfectly with, with the shooting and with Joel Embiid, uh, Joel Embiid being on the inside, and so you can now maximize however many years healthy that you can get out that you will get out Joel Embiid. So that is the trade that should happen for both teams. Damian Lillard for Ben Simmons. So Damian Lillard, uh, Ben Simmons and some picks, of course. And if they want Thibel, if they want Thibel, who I, and by the way, I want Thibel looked great against the USA. I mean, it, look, it looks like, and we saw this, we saw, we saw flashes of this during the playoffs. His shot, his shot is improved. It is, it's kind of incrementally improving a little bit. Like his shot is, if he can get that to where he could be like a Bruce Bowen type, that is, he'd be a valuable asset in the NBA, the way he can defend. He is a all-world defensive player, second-team All-NBA, and is a is a future candidate to be a defensive player of the year. He's that great defensively. I mean, he played great defensively against the United States. He has a couple, he had some, he was all over the place in that game. I meant to, meant to, meant to mention that uh, during when we were talking about the Olympics. Um so if they want Thibault and some picks, Thibault picks and Ben Simmons, yeah, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. And then you can then move move C.J. McCollum. The Lakers, uh, Lakers might have some interest. A lot of teams will have interest in C.J. McCollum because he's a, he's a legit 20-point 20 20 per game scorer that can be that's efficient, that can be efficient, and that in the right system would flourish as well. So I think if you're Portland, I, I think they should go into the I, – I think they should completely tear it apart if you're not going to compete, if you know that you, your team is not competing for a championship, I think you should go into the mode, go into and just tear it apart. Because the worst thing, you want to trade Lillard before he wants to be traded. And I'm going to repeat that. You want to trade Lillard before he wants to be traded. Right now, right now, he doesn't want to be traded. Right now, right now, he's kind of in that, he's focused on the Olympics. He's kind of in that, okay, Chauncey Billups just got the head coaching job. Let's see what let's see what moves y'all make. So he's not all the way done with Portland. He doesn't have his foot out the door. You don't want if you're Portland Trailblazers. You don't want to go into the season knowing that this, that your team is not a contender and have a Damian Lillard just have a pissed off Damian Lillard for the best part for the better part of the season. As Simmons has a because Simmons will by then by by, by Simmons is going to get traded. Simmons could be traded before the draft. Or Simmons is going to be get traded between now and the NBA draft or a little bit after. It, it will not the Simmons move, the Simmons deal is not, it's not gonna, it's not gonna like, you know, we're not gonna be talking about this in in uh September or late August with Simmons. Ben Simmons will be traded um in a couple weeks. It's, it's gonna happen, it's gonna happen very soon. If you're Portland and they're going to be there's a there's going there's a market for Ben Simmons. There are a number of teams. There are at least five, maybe five to eight, five to, to ten teams that would have an interest in Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons is respected around the league. Um, again, he's a young asset under 25 that is an established NBA player. Those guys don't come along. Those guys do not come along and become available that often at this stage in their careers with years still left on their contract. That's a rare, that is a rare guy under 25, 25 and under. So I think now is the time, if you're Portland, I would be on the phone with Daryl Morey, like, like right now, talking about a package 
for Ben Simmons and and I would be letting and I and I'll be letting listen if I if, I mean again if you're the Sixers uh, yeah you uh, those two teams absolutely one thousand percent should be communicating. But it is the Sixers, so we, you know, they, <laughs> we saw what what they we saw what happened with the, uh, you know, them not trading for James Harden and them not trading for Kyle Lowry. So who knows what they who knows what they have in mind, what they what they will do with Ben Simmons. But Ben Simmons should be a Portland Trailblazer, and Damian Lillard should be a Philadelphia 76er before the before the uh, next season starts. That's going to wrap it up for this latest edition of the Real Deal podcast. Uh, this episode will be up before the finals. I have this episode up before this evening is 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 um, for us a wrap on on this evening and uh, before tomorrow. So I will see you next time on this latest edition of the Real Deal podcast. Have a great evening. So long.